0: all right welcome back to another episode of who saved over my podcast <laughs> i'm your host neil streepig with me of course is donald double d de so uh this episode i mean i don't know, i'm excited Talk about a little bit about mass effect legendary edition and do a nice little deep dive into how amazing the mass effect universe is definitely a game i know you and i probably have spent probably a month's worth of time playing each
1: like of actual like time of my life hours invested yeah I think that's a fair assessment. And I think this will also be a little bit different for us because in a lot of ways, I think we actually agree. The, it feels like the podcast has been developing a lot in towards sort of almost a debate show where we disagree on topics. But when yeah, it comes I just to Mass don't Effect- don't respect you, so. <laughs> and you're just wrong. But <laughs> true. when it comes to Mass Effect, we actually both agree on the awesomeness of the title, the franchise, and our love of it. Although we may disagree on some of the decisions that we made.
0: <laughs> Very true. Very true. But of course, starting things off, nice little news round, good old spectator
1: mode. So start us off, Double D, what we got? So starting off, uh, Marvel's released sort of their upcoming plan for their next big story arc here. Obviously beginning with division, which has now concluded at the time of recording. So we're looking at Falcon, Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki, Shang-Chi, on and on and on. It's an incredible lineup. I'm excited for the characters we're seeing. Eternals making an appearance, She-Hulk making an appearance on that list. Uh, and Deadpool 3, which you told me, to give you the credit, uh, is going to be the only confirmed R movie on this project. That they've got some movies slated out till 2022 and 2023 and beyond like it's insane how much they're looking to accomplish And we talked about this off the air before i think it's kind of cool
0: that they have they have something each week because uh mm-hmm. disney plus hulu pretty much all the subscription services hbo max experience in something newspapers have dealt with for ages uh churn uh somebody's basically paying for the of subscription or coming in on a promotion and then they're leaving once they watch their show so I think having new content, especially series like WandaVision, new episode each week, keeps everybody kind of hooked. And then if you like WandaVision, you're probably going to want to watch Winter Soldier and Falcon. You're going to want to watch Loki. And of course, HBO Max is doing a great job with it with all the uh, Warner Brothers premieres. I think pretty much everybody's keeping HBO Max just because it's like, yeah, I can see a brand new movie this week if I have HBO Max. Same thing with everything Marvel coming out with.
1: I mean, so so beyond their sort of like overall roadmap going out Literally years. Uh, what you're alluding to is that Disney Plus is releasing some new Marvel content every week this year. Starting with WandaVision, there will be the making of WandaVision coming up when that finishes, and then right into Falcon and Winter Soldier, on and on. And so, either a movie or episodes coming out. And I, I, I despise it. I'm gonna be honest. I hate this. Like, watch it our way baloney of like you you, you got a uh, a week that you got to sit on between i literally did not watch any of wandavision until today because last night was when the final episode came out binge the whole thing just sat down and just was like bitch boom bah done I hate this model that they're forcing us to consume the way they want us to consume. But like you said, from a business standpoint, I absolutely get it. Uh, Moving on to the next thing. Announcement of a new Pokemon game coming out. The date of this recording actually is the 10-year anniversary for the release of the Pokemon Black and White games in North America. So maybe you can figure out when we recorded this because I have no idea when we're releasing this. Um, But Pokemon Legends Arceus is looking to... Uh, incorporate more of this, like sort of action RPG elements and overworld and moving around, and it's definitely, I think, drawing on inspiration and success of Breath of the Wild in terms of its look and its feel, and I think that's probably a good thing.
0: Now, honestly, I haven't played a Pokemon game since X and Y. Uh, I played the demo for Let's Go, uh, eevee Let's Go Pikachu, and I mean, which is basically just a remake right Red and Blue, and Red right and Blue still, I mean, holds a special place in my heart for it, but. I think with any Pokemon game, you play them because it's, you know, a bit of comfort zone a, comfort zone, a bit of nostalgia, but you don't really get that open world feel. So with that, it's like, okay, yeah, now I could finally just go somewhere. I can stumble upon a legendary Pokemon. I can stumble upon an area to where it's like, yeah, I don't have anybody to battle with. I don't have the right Pokeballs for this. It just creates that element of curiosity and world building that, honestly, it's kind of surprised it's taken Pokemon this long to do that.
1: You know, and I think what I... What... For me personally, as someone who's played several of the games over generations and uh, looking back on them now, sort of with a modern mentality of what I consider interesting gameplay, right? Because I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk Mass Effect too. Nostalgia, looking back at the way those games played, seemed great at the time. These days probably wouldn't hold up to snuff if I went back to play one, for example. Same thing with Pokemon. The franchise itself really, I don't think, has innovated much on its gameplay. It's been a very similar, like, here's some new Pokemon, right? Like some new abilities, but the core gameplay, the core sort of feedback loop and, and the mechanics haven't really changed. And so I'm hoping that this is going to see some big changes in the franchise to sort of freshen it up for what I would call modern sensibilities in terms of what we expect from a game.
0: And then move it on, as you mentioned, a bit after the fact, but BlizzCon came out and when February, we're in March now, announced quite a bit. Overwatch 2 is a big one, but really just unloaded on Diablo. Uh, Diablo 2 remake, Diablo 4 is going to be announced. And they introduced the rogue character back into Diablo 4, which quite frankly, I know I'm pumped about, but it seems like Blizzard's entire mantra was retro.
1: Yeah. um, And this comes into something that I almost would want to talk about in a larger sense of innovation and like new IPs and new franchises, because it does feel like we either get, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which has gotten so far away from what it was when it started that it doesn't even seem like the same core game and storyline, but don't want to lose the ip and now we're seeing a lot of this sort of like updating or refreshing of existing titles and even mass effect legendary edition we're going to talk about falls into that of just like let's take something that was a huge success and bring it back you know what i mean so with diablo 4 i look forward to it i i want to see it you know i mean i want to play it for sure do you think it's really going to bring anything new to the franchise
0: i mean i don't think any of the diablo games really do i got made fun of by uh two of my good friends in pittsburgh for uh talking to the non-playable characters and npcs in diablo because it's like (laughs) why even waste your time and i'm like i want to know the story but honestly diablo's (laughs) stories are irrelevant (laughs) it's just illusion just bang them up and loot and uh i mean it is fun but it's a mind-numbing game so i think it's a good for games like that it's a good recipe but i mean you play diablo similar to you know pokemon it's a tried and true formula and too many changes, you're going to lose your audience. Uh with Diablo, I think it's trying to recapture as many elements as Diablo 2, which is why they're remastering it. And I think it's why they're bringing back some of the classes that were in Diablo 2. Uh I like Diablo 3 a lot, but I felt like if you didn't play the Demon Hunter, it really wasn't worth your while. That was uh also a bit of older news, but Nintendo Direct last month in February unveiled a couple big games. I think the biggest title was the remake for Skyward Sword. I think a bit of a fan favorite among Zelda fans. Me personally, it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I know it gets a lot of heat, but I think story-wise, the whole idea that you learn how the Master Sword is created is kind of cool. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, I actually have a platform that can actually deal with the mechanics Skyward Sword introduced, which was the super sensitive Wii controllers and actually moving your shield and your sword with the re remotes. Hopefully the Switch can do that properly because everyone that played on the Wii It was definitely falling short.
1: That's interesting. Um, I have to admit, and we've talked about this before, that I never was a big Zelda fan. Although I do know that the main character's name is really Link and Zelda's the princess who's constantly getting saved. So I got that to my credit. (laughs) Um, It's an interesting point you make about the improvements in technology because I wonder how many games didn't live up to their potential because the technology wasn't there to support the concept. But why don't I put this to you really fast. As a Zelda fan, a self-proclaimed Zelda fan, what would you say are your top three or five, maybe, Zelda's self
0: proclaimed. Uh, I mean, I have Zelda on the background. You can't even see it. And I just, you need to do a better I mean, job of bringing does it. Does that forward. make you a, like, a nerd? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. You don't know unless there's I have gotta a max, be, There's got to be a test, Pops. right? Like, we got to ask yeah, you some yeah.
1: super esoteric questions to prove that you yeah, deserve no, the, the fan, no, the title of fan.
0: <laughs> no number of Funko Pops will, will prove that. Uh, no. I do like Skyward Sword. I think we talked about this before, and I think I did put Skyward Sword in my top five. And I am going to renege on that because I did kind Ooh. of go back through, and it is up there for me. It is. But I didn't include uh, Link to New World 1, the 3DS, which I do think deserves to be in the top five. So I'd move that into top five and probably Skyward Sword down to six. I know a lot of people are going to be like, why would you do that? Again, Skyward Sword's story, I think, does hold up. And I do think it's cool that it's the first actual piece in Zelda lore. I don't think people give that enough credit because you have so many stories that conflict and it's like, Skyward Store is the starting port. That's where all these things branch off of. So yeah, if the gameplay is just a little bit better, I think people will appreciate that a lot lot more. But as far as a quick top three, Majora's Mask at three. I think it is one of the toughest challenges. And I think it actually gives more meaning to the Ocarina because let's be honest, not creative time. You really don't use it all that much. Majora's (laughs) Mask, I think it actually serves its purpose. And the challenge of that, even though it doesn't feel like a traditional Zelda game, no matter how old you are, what generation of Zelda fan you are, I think it's a fun and difficultly fun challenge. Two Link to the past, hands down, I think probably the best old school retro. And I mean, if you never played it, I think it's that and Chrono Trigger are probably two games that you want to play in the Super NES. And hopefully they add that to the Switch library on them.
1: You always but bring a Chrono of the- Trigger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Breath of the Wild, I don't think how you I don't know how you can't put that at number one. I think. It took everything that embodied the Zelda game with discovery, exploration, and curiosity and just blew the top off of it. And it's a blast. And no matter who you are, I think you have a completely different experience going back to it, playing it multiple times. And I mean, at Double D, you play it, you're going to have a whole different experience how you went about it. And, you know, I did. And I think that's the beauty of those games.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, of the games, I will say, I think Breath of the Wild is maybe the one that's been most influential because... Now there are games that take inspiration from Breath of the Wild. I don't know if the same can be said of other Zelda games. Like off the top of my head, nothing occurs to me. But Genshin Impact is a game that's gotten fairly popular on its own. And it's very much like, how do we turn Zelda into, or Breath of the Wild specifically, into like a gotcha game? We just talked about Pokemon Legends Arceus. Again, seems to be taking inspiration from that. And like, it's become sort of a cultural touchstone or like a comparison point. You know what I mean? That like a measuring stick, rather. that games are compared to that and i don't know if the same can be said of any other uh game in the franchise all right speaking of switch though and reasons to buy if you haven't already (laughs) nintendo (laughs) is coming
0: yeah nintendo (laughs) is coming out the new 4k version um let me make sure i got the specs right here it's going to be 4k high definition graphics and seven inches across the screen the current model is 6.2 uh by five inches and this will be able to feature 720 pixels
1: bigger and so than it's the light as well. P for the handheld resolution, but 4K for the like the the console. T- yeah, the console. Sorry. Okay, gotcha.
0: You are much better at the tech side than I am. So thank you for explaining. That.
1: <laughs> I actually have a 4K <laughs> TV, unlike some people. <laughs> Yeah, no, I actually just still
0: have an analog.
1: He's watching WandaVision. He's like, that's my TV. He's like, right right there. (laughs) Episode one, he's like, that's it. (laughs) Um, This actually is great news for me uh, because I do have the 4K TV. My girlfriend gave me a lot of shit for buying it because she didn't think it made enough of a difference in our viewing experience. And she also loves a Switch, to be honest. Uh, Because of you, uh, for our viewing fans, got to visit him one time. We played some games and she... Absolutely enjoyed the Switch and the interactivity of it and everything else. And this made me feel completely inferior. With my PC games that I've been trying to get her to play for years literally years at this point um so you tell me there's an upgraded switch coming out i'm all about that
0: play but i think with the switch to your point it is definitely a communal kind of console and it's easy for a non-gamer to you know have fun playing mario party or mario golf or honestly any of the mario games with mario kart it's just a fun easy to play and with the handheld portion for the retro gamers i've always said if you just want to sit there and nerd out for a bit in game the switch is the best console to do that it doesn't Disguise itself as a home entertainment console like Xbox and uh, PlayStation do. It's just strictly you're one of there and you want to game out with by yourself, handheld, or with friends on the 4K. It's like, why not? And I think that's the beauty of it.
1: And I totally agree. And talking about nerding out on things, then I think that kind of brings us to our main point of discussion for the evening, which will be Mass Effect Legendary Edition.
0: All right. So to the topic you guys are all tuning in really for Mass Effect, everything about the Mass Effect culture, and of course, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. But before we dive into the weeds of uh, the Normandy, the Legendary Edition, basically going to be an uh, overhaul. Uh, nice remaster of all three games, includes all the DLC for all three games. And I think most of the changes are going to be in the original, which is very needed.
1: I think anybody that had
0: played the original is well aware. it Story stands up to the test of time. The gameplay does not by any means.
1: Yeah, and this is... we. I mentioned this earlier, kind of how nostalgia affects things, right? Like, looking back, I absolutely did enjoy playing the original Mass Effect game at the time. And yet, even without playing it again, I can think back to, like, the things that happened in that game. The jankiness of the Mako controls and just sort of, like, the very empty spaces everywhere. And, and like, a lot of, like, nothing going on sometimes as you were traveling around. And just doesn't... Like, it's not what I would consider satisfying today from a gameplay perspective. So I'm glad they're taking a look at that stuff, as well as including all the DLCs, which I personally haven't touched, but you have. There's a lot of good DLCs on there. Uh,
0: I still think Shadow Broker and The Arrival, I must play as in two. And we'll get into it with three a bit, but uh, I think all of three's DLCs are worthwhile because they are just extensions and it kind of keeps that ride going. Particularly the uh, when you go back and return to uh, Omega and that whole mission, I think... That's like two hours extra of gameplay. But uh, to base you running Renegal with Tiara Loke is an absolute blast. And I think it's a character that you not necessarily fell in love with, but you definitely like like so many characters in the Mass Effect Universe. And you want to see kind of more of who they are, what they do, aside from the initial mission and introduction. A big part two of Legendary Edition, we didn't uh, immediately address the femship. You yeah. can be a female shepherd out of the gates. That was something you could only do in the third out of the gates now, you can immediately make a female Shepard, which I'm sure is, you know, massive, massively big news for a large portion of the audience. And uh,
1: femship, they're adding, they're adding just a lot more customization options in general. So beyond what was in the base game. It seems like they're adding more hairstyles, more face shape control and stuff like that. I don't know if it extends also to outfits and piercings and tattoos and stuff like that. But in general, not only are they introducing FemShep from Mass Effect 1 that you'll be able to play as... You always were able to import saves across and like maintain your character, so to speak. But then you always had that issue, too, of like as the graphic systems updated across generations, your character would look a little bit different. Maybe it wasn't quite what you were expecting in terms of how they updated things like, oh, like I didn't think I was that scarred or, you know, like my hair I didn't think was quite so whatever as it updated. Now you're going to have a very cohesive character from start to finish, which I think is going to be very nice. And these expanded character customization options, I think are also wonderful in terms of immersion, because if anything, Mass Effect does well, it's immersion and storytelling. That has to be a strong point. It does. And with the remaster too, it's starting with one where again, that story holds up. Uh, they did cut
0: the time of elevator rides as well. Because if you play the original, you yeah. would be in an elevator for like five, 10 minutes. Well, those
1: were their non loading screen, loading screens, right? Like the, exactly. the hidden loading screen.
0: But, uh, no, I think the immersion point, I think that's, it's massively important because when you did play the first one, if you're a fan, you enjoyed it. But sitting there and having to level up and do that grind, and when you got to level 10, level 15, it was like, okay, now I actually feel like I'm playing a class. class, Now I actually feel like a soldier. Now I actually feel like a biotic. It definitely takes you out of the game. So for folks that you know are just getting into it, I think it's a great starting point, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I didn't play the first one until right before the third one came out. And I started with the second one as my first introduction. Before the third launched, I played straight through one, two, and then was able to time it when the third came out. And uh, still one of the best game experiences,
1: I think, ever. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, man. I mean, I do feel a little bit bad for you in the sense that you did the second before you got to experience the first, maybe. But I, the only reason I played the first game first was because, I forget if it was you, I think it might have been you, made the specific recommendation to do that. And so I went out of my way to get a copy of the first edition or borrow it play the very first Mass Effect game, play the second one, and then the third in order. And uh glad that I did. I'm very glad that I did. So I feel like this might be the moment where we have to say major spoilers ahead, right? We are going to make certain assumptions about the people listening to this podcast right now. And if this is not you, feel free to listen, but um, <laughs> don't know how much you'll take away from it. And the first assumption we're making is that you've played the games, that you have an awareness of the overall story. You know what's happened in the games. And we will be discussing specific character options or specific characters, their storylines, choices. And as we've mentioned before, storyline choice, this is some very big stuff in Mass Effect. One of the reasons you should absolutely play it if you haven't, but you probably don't want to know the consequences of those decisions before you get to make them for yourself. So we're going to assume you've played the games. We're also going to assume that you have a general recollection of these storylines and how things played out. You know, we'll talk about our decisions and our feelings of things. We're going to try to avoid doing summaries. We might do a few here and there, obviously, depending on like DLC stuff would be a little more necessary because it wasn't part of the base games. You know, we're we're assuming that the the person staying for this part is going to be someone who basically has some familiarity with the franchise and is prepared for this sort of deeper dive into what we loved, what we liked. I don't know that there was anything we particularly hated. At the guess. well, <laughs> 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 yeah, right. You you and the Fucking Geth and the Reapers, man. Like, let's just. Oh no, yes. What is what? Why? Why do you hate them so? Why do you hate the Geth? Right? Like the Reapers, oh, I get they were assholes. It's, it's but, being, what's wrong with the Geth?
0: So- and this, this is what you're, you're talking about. Like, this is not the Mass Effect Wikipedia page at this stage. We assume you're up to date. You, you've read everything. You've played it. You've experienced it. And you know, you're, you're in it for the fun now. Uh, I don't trust cyborgs and sentient beings. Okay, I don't know. Forgive me for being, you know, a carbon product and a human so being. Is,
1: wait, is this just a game thing, or is this like a, a real life? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, if Alien doesn't came get down, down with yeah, drones,
0: like, <laughs> no, I, I really don't. I get mad that you know we're having this conversation i'm probably gonna have like mass effect recommendations on like google popping up on an instagram and facebook and that drives me crazy i'm like hey like Skynet, tone it down a notch <laughs> yeah exactly no, i will never get a room book because i don't need that thing like flying on my face and like sucking out my oxygen as i'm sleeping that's the stu-
1: that's the stuff i what? think about you know what i mean I'm, who, who, I'm just saying
0: i don't need no transformer i didn't I don't need a decepticon in my house
1: who even thinks about that, that st- who re- like seriously like i i Uh, Anybody that read sci-fi and Jules Verne growing up? I don't know. It says H.G. Wells. It's just, it's programmed in my (laughs) brain now. I mean, it's funny you mention it because uh, related to what you're saying, but a slightly off topic from Mass Effect, there was an article that came out about a general basically expressing concern with the future of warfare in the sense that drones are becoming more and more common and drones are able, like computers basically are able to make decisions faster than people. And that question of like, do we go live? Do we fire? Traditionally has a human component Someone decides to give the command to go fire to go, to go live to fire, and because of compute like computers and drone warfare and stuff becoming more and more common, he was basically making the point that there won't be time to ask somebody if this is a good idea or not like you're literally going to have to trust the computer or the ai or whatever you want to call it to make the decision because we don't have time to talk to people anymore because otherwise opposing or enemy drones will just they'll act before you have that chance
0: (laughs) that's just and that's my point that's just crazy to me it's just there's everything we're and again maybe because we don't know and everything we're taught is based in fiction sci-fi like universes like mass effect it's that computers are inherently smarter than us and will ultimately not necessarily turn on us. But since they're smarter than us, would be like, you're going to make the wrong decisions. This is the right decision, regardless of how many lives may be at stake. And that's where, again, I'm not going to trust a cyborg. And, <laughs> you know, you put me in a position like commander Shepard, <laughs> and I have these sentient beings that are coming and being like, you know what we're doing? We're going to reset the clock. Cause we think, you know, these primal cultures can stick around and then they can get to their sticks and stones, learn from like, you're skyscrapers in tech. And then we're going to come back in a couple thousand years and kill them. Fuck that doors. You know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to blow up all the Reapers, you squid looking motherfuckers and destroy you. And anybody that like follows you uh, cough, cough the geth, you're getting gunned down too.
1: Okay. End okay. Story. Pause. So first of all, I just finished a rewatch of Stargate SG one, uh, which was an incredible show that ran on sci-fi. I'm into season nine now, which is very different from the first eight seasons, different team, different vibe, whatever. But in the show, there are these replicators. Have you ever watched it before? Uh, I've, I'm familiar with Stargate, but I've never watched it. Right. I've watched it.
0: Like, when the movie came out, I think I was like eight, nine years old because I'm ancient. But I, <laughs> that's the extent of my Stargate now. So
1: there, there's one alien race that they have issues with called the replicators. And as the name implies, like they're basically nanobots that construct more of themselves. And so they eat all matter, essentially. And right, so it's like the robots in Horizon Zero Dawn. If I ever played that game, I would definitely know that reference. Uh, they eat biomass. They
0: consume biomass and end up basically overtaking the world because they're consuming
1: anything that's carbon-based. Huge spoilers. Uh, thank you, because I absolutely want to buy that game. Um, but yes, no, they're very similar <laughs> in terms of like, so they, they, they consume technology, consume things and, and incorporate it into themselves. And they constantly are killing organic life. And they make the point in the show of saying basically like, From our experiences having visited, you know, hundreds if not thousands of worlds and da-da-da, like, organic life always gets to a point developmentally where it creates artificial life and always seeks to basically control or enslave that life. Like, they don't ever get to the point of recognizing it as properly independent or sentient, which, you know, from their view is not correct not moral you know what i mean and and basically that idea that like humans or or organic life is incapable of viewing artificial life as being truly alive you know and getting back to mass effect i think the game made us grapple with that right like you had legion you had edie which were very rich characters in and of themselves you had Tali, who's kind of presenting maybe the other side of this conversation a little bit with repping, uh the Korians and, and their battle with the Geth. The empathy there.
0: You know, yeah. We created this and we let it loose, and now we had to live with the fact that they overtook our homeworld.
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 guess to that question, and then coming back to Mass Effect and to the Reapers a little bit, like you, to be clear, you chose the kill reaper's ending. Like just Absolutely. straight up like fucking Mercum. I-
0: I spent over 100 hours between three games killing Reapers and one mission on my mind. So you better be damn, damn clear when, you know, the Crucible's like, you got three options. I'm like, fuck you. I got one. Get out of the <laughs> way, kid. Like, don't even, like, I was like, don't so stop talking to me. I, you, you said I had to destroy Reapers over here. I don't give a shit where the other two are. I give me my pistol. I'm out. You know what I mean, he's like, talking it's to me like, well, deal. you want to
1: hear about this? No, like, I'm good. We're good here,
0: man. Yeah.
1: And it's the best decision of the game. It's no, the only right dude, decision. I mean, so I, I, From the perspective that you're coming at it from, I definitely see why you did. I understand. Um, And if we look at it from a real world perspective, which is like, again, part of what makes this game great is it does allow us to draw parallels to the real world and to our own experiences in life. Understand where you're coming from. However, clearly the wrong decision. Because the best decision was Synthesis, right? Because you can't you can't control them. You don't know that you're going to be able to maintain control indefinitely or that there's no, more Reapers out there or some shit, like how they may evolve on their own and stuff like that. Like, you can't control them. Synthesis is really the only true way to achieve peace and elevating artificial life to the level and respect they deserve as being fully sentient and alive. You can't tell me Edie and Legion are not, like, absolute bro crew members.
0: All I'm saying, if we're going to play, like, the sentient beings frame of mind probability wise 000002 percent of population (laughs) ed and legion isn't enough for me to be like you know what let's trust these guys (laughs) so i'm gonna i'm gonna spend it back on their logic the ones and zeros and the whole fact that like they don't live in any sort of gray area no and like i'm sorry joker got his side piece he got to enjoy ed for a bit I'm happy for my dude, but he's been he's been on with Eden Prime. He's been with me since then, so it's like, dude, you know what's going on, man. You know what we're doing here, man. I'm yeah, well, because love, Joker homeboy, Joker like, has a fundamental appreciation. Ah,
1: come on, he's got a fundamental appreciation of the fact that like the AI were mistreated. Like, it's not so. What what is your take then on like the Arachne? Oh, well, we're getting we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, I think, a little bit. Like uh, the Rachne Queen, the Genophage, rather, with like the Genophage like, and everything to control them. Um, look, so why don't we put a pin in this for a second? Who were your go to crew members squad made through the games?
0: I mean, I think it changes a little between uh, each game slightly, but Garrison Tally are my main, main two. Uh, Rex rode him and uh, Rex and Garrison rode me quite a bit in the first one. But uh, if we're going to go through characters that carry, carry over pretty much each game, Garrison Tally, I mean, Tally was my love interest. She's my boo you know I mean, that's my number one ride or die ah,
1: man, and we've talked about this sort of sort of you know in, at other moments but why are you constantly exposing your love interest to the threat of imminent death you know I'm a masochist man anything that's going to make it my life difficult
0: <laughs> or like uncomfortable I'm like you know let me let me explore that so in my gaming experience you know what I'm going to do I'm going to also bring my love interest into you know, a suicide mission <laughs> and be like let's see th- if we can make it out are we really meant to be together you know I like the challenge <laughs> is, let's is, see is, you know if you know, we both survive maybe this is a real thing maybe we can go on a second date let's see how
1: I, I, really so much of your personality just comes out <laughs> in your gaming decisions because why in the world so, i mean i gotta well, I say it's the trust component honestly really? it's oh because like... you well okay i can kind of see that
0: and like with, with tally though too like her combat drone i think is one of the most underappreciated aspects of that game as far as a squad mate when you do max it up especially in the second and third one that does some serious damage uh especially to uh husks that I was in infiltrator class through most of my playthroughs. I did play engineer and a couple other ones. Those are the only two classes. And honestly, I mean, I enjoy playing those the most. That's why I never tried Biotic. I had no desire to play Biotic. With her drone as infiltrator, I thought that was super clutch. And again, Garrus, similar kind of components. So it's like two snipers. You need someone doing that, that grunt work. And in the second one, I'd have grunt running through there, taking the shotgun blast. And then uh, Javik in the third. I, I did like Javik's character a lot in the third. Rode with him quite a bit. Uh, um, Ashley as well. And
1: and Liara. Uh, Liara, I got to give props to as well. So Javik, you I, ha- I was you like, who of... is this person? It's it's a DLC character. Thank you yeah. kindly. Javik, okay. Well, good to know. Oh, yeah. I... I forgot about
0: it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I honestly know. I kind of forgot about it because when you, that was back in the day when you pre purchased the game, you got certain DLC. And now I feel like everything's you know you get it out of the gates no matter when you purchase games anymore so like that was back you had to go to GameStop at midnight release and it was like hey you get Javik and it was like okay cool yeah you know I mean you get a pro I mean little- that
1: is cool though that you actually got you know like I feel like today they've moved away from impactful pre-order bonuses to more like cosmetic stuff I don't know I, I maybe I got like I understand the concept of like you don't want people to be disadvantaged maybe but like i would prefer maybe a real reward for a pre-order that's a whole other topic um yeah i I will second garris made my squad through all three games i think he would made my squad for some period of time because i do remember like in different games like rotating based on kind of the mission or the needs or you know what i mean like i I like bringing characters along that had connections to the story so if i knew there was a tie in there I would swap someone out to just get that person there for the dialogue that they would have because there was a lot of unique dialogue if you brought them along. So Garrus constantly made my squad. In the first Mass Effect, Rex was my other bro for sure. Mass Effect 2, Legion came along quite a bit, which might be why I was more positive towards Legion than you were. Uh, I, I do like Legion and I like Legion in the second one. I'm not, again- Did you Legion, really?
0: He, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one of those things where you gotta make a hard choice, man. You can't save everybody, man. And it's- I had a mission to do, man. He knew what was up, man. He, he knew he knew there was tension when he came aboard the Normandy. He got it. He understood. He handled his
1: business. And uh, Thane Krios in the second one actually became a, a pretty staple character for me. Like, I, I, I wanted to replace Rex with Grunt, but Grunt wasn't Rex. So, you know what I mean? I think I ended up running Garrus and Thane a lot. Legion got in there. Um, and then by the time we get to Mass Effect 3, you know, I kept Garrus alive through everything. So he stayed available for, to me Edie also became a pretty common character on my team and so maybe i wonder how much this actually played into you know what i mean like our final decisions now that i'm realizing like you really stayed away from not like maybe completely but it does sound like you stayed away from the ai characters where they were rather staple members of my squad going through things like legion and Edie specifically I mean, I did have Tally who kinda is the bridge between that. Edia didn't run with yeah, too like, much. T- was Tally uh, ever actually positive towards the geth? Like, I don't think, like, I don't think she ever comes around on it, right? I mean, I think in the third one, when you're on Rennek and, and that
0: mission, and we can get into to the choices and the paramount decisions in a bit here, but I do think she does have a bit more empathy. And even her relationship with Legion in the second one, depending how much you're walking on the norm and yeah. talking to everybody, I think you see that unfold and to your point when you Take certain characters on certain missions. And I do like that the game forces you, like, doing the Cerberus mission, EDS to come with you. You do kind of stop and think, like, who else would be a good fit for this? It isn't so much sometimes combat, it's the story component. Because I did, I did the same thing in a lot of missions with that. So, but I mean, Legion in the suicide mission in the second one, there's certain moments, I think, in anybody's playthrough that you just like, it was awesome. It was, you just made the right choice. The combat and how you approached it was stellar. And the suicide mission, once I understood how to, play that one and i'll take my take you through my first first thing when we get there was always legion and thane and uh before you actually fight the human reaper they're uh, making yeah and you have basically all the uh uh, collectors coming in on uh, those little pegs those hexagonal pegs before they even connected the entire thing was wasted i'm talking harbinger taking over you had three snipers just pop 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 like there was no collectors at all in any of the hexagons by the time they touched. So like that whole last mission before we even got to the human Reaper was just awesome. Cause it was just like, yeah, we just laid waste to these guys. Like no problem. Now grant the Reaper fight got a little hectic cause we're all, you know, long range guys. So you have to kind of stick and move a bit differently, but that's still one of the coolest things. And I, I did like playing with Legion in that sense. Cause I made Garrus uses assault rifle more than a sniper rifle. And with Legion and Thane, it was like, yeah, we're sniping city.
1: Well, and and Garrus went along very well with my play style, which I think is why I kept him around through all of them because I was playing scout, right? Like I was doing the sniping thing pretty hardcore. So I, I always needed someone to frontline for me. Which is why Rex was like my fucking bro in the first one. And then like Legion and Edie both had like either like distracting talents or they could be built in a way that was tankier. But like maybe maybe now is a good time to transition to choices because I distinctly remember many times picking people just to just to see what went down. Like I'm pretty sure I took like Tali and Legion out together just to be like, oh, will these two get along? Like I'm a, I'm a little bit curious here, you know what I mean? And like <laughs> just. Kind of stirring shit up a little bit to to see what happened. So, depending on what you did in the first one,
0: you might not have had a character to give you that different vantage point making a choice in the second. Uh, now, I mean, you didn't play the DLC. One of the, I think, a very cool DLC that they do have is the comic book prelude. Basically, you can make all the choices with the previous game playing through a virtual comic book. And uh, it is a pretty cool thing because I think Dark Horse does the Mass Effect comics. So, they do the artwork for the DLC. Uh, it cool. is a cool thing if you don't want to actually play through 40 50 hours of the first or second games and just hop right in the third before we go into love interest too because i think it's a big part of choices i think in the first one the biggest thing for me was the Vermeyer mission and uh again i didn't play through the first one this one i played through the second one about four times and then i hopped in the first one before uh the third came out a couple months ahead of the uh release uh i think was the second mission i did once it was free roam after eden prime and you know you get to normandy talk to Anderson. You got your squad. He went way, and way fucking soon. I didn't know that. And I went through, you know, you're on the Mako, you're doing your thing. I did all the side missions on the side and stuff. So I had a couple uh, side mission parts and uh, secrets before you yeah, got to Vermeer. I'm talking with Rex. He's uh, getting pissed about the Genophage. He's like, yeah, we got to care for Genophage. We got to take it. And I'm like, yo, 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 like, cool your jet. My Paragon of Renegade was not high enough at that point in time to make the civil choice. And <laughs> I don't forget this. As he, like, goes to come at me, Ash just takes her gun out and just blows his head off. Just straight, boom, cold blood killing Rex as soon as he tries to make a move on me. Now, I mean, Ash is a xenophobic, like, wackadoo in the first one. Like, I don't think we talk about that enough. She is, like, if you're an alien, like, I'm killing you, I don't trust anything unless you're a human being, which is... I did not get down with Ashley, like like... I know I could be a little hard on the freaking AI and the cyborgs, but like Ash is a little wild on that one. It's like, come on, tone it down. But still, I was like, holy shit. And I knew how important Rex was in the next games. And I was like, dude, Rex is an OG. Like, this is crazy. So I did reload and I did do the missions again. I actually used my XP to bump up my Paragon so I could have that decision. So I was able to save him. But that initial thing, I was like, holy shit. I just, I just screwed the pooch this entire game.
1: Sorry. There will be some random beeping. I want to acknowledge this really quickly because I don't want to have to get rid of it. I was searching some stuff up in the background and, uh, yeah, once in a while maybe failed in my search and my computer made a nice little chiming sound to let me know. I think it's crazy, though, that you went for Vermeer so early. I didn't know. Because well, it was a story mission as well, dude. Like, I, this just could be our very different approaches to how we play games. I think I've got 100 hours in Witcher, maybe more and i still haven't moved to the second continent like i actually haven't finished witcher 3 still i haven't even gotten to the second continent because i'm like oh there's so many things to do on this first continent like why would i ever leave before doing absolutely everything that i possibly can and like before i progress a story mission i will absolutely finish every single side mission and not only will i finish every side mission i will visit every place that i've been to to see if there's new missions available because i completed those side missions to complete those missions so i will literally i will literally like go through every town and just ignore the story mission until I've I've confirmed 100 percent that I've done everything I can possibly do before I move on, which speaks to me possibly being neurotic. Now that I say it out loud, it doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> at I'm glad all. you came to a conclusion. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it just it really does. It, yeah. Um. Damn. But God, I cannot imagine going into Vermeer half cocked dude like what the hell uh,
0: again i didn't know the magnitude of that mission and honestly I mean, shame no, neither on me did i not...
1: but like it was a story mission that should have been your like heads up of like this is i didn't put be two and two together
0: with like the Vermeer mission and like all those subtle conversations you have with folks and i mean yeah i mean i do have the mass effect bracelet so you know <laughs> rep repping the nerdum. but uh i mean i'm a completionist with mass effect in certain games not every game it, it depends on how much i like it but I won't do every side mission before a main mission sometimes. And in that sense, it was like, okay, cool. Let's start with Vermeer. seems like a fun mission. Like, why not? And ascending the Combat in Mass Effect 2, I did figure that was going to help me get a level up pretty quick. So I did want to do that. But I just, again, it, I should have done my homework realizing and putting two together that Vermeer was a mission you probably shouldn't do last. And I did kill Caden because, I'm sorry, you know, I know Liara and Ash are the love interest. So it's just I had to have them duke it out. I don't really care for Caden. I was like, dude, I don't know why you're coming at me, man. Like, I just got on the ship. He's like, oh, man, let's make out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take it easy. I don't have a whole like
1: crew yet. <laughs> was I vibing that way? Did I? Did hey, I? Yeah. <laughs> no, Um. It's it's interesting. Well, because it kind of comes back to uh, a gaming experience, which I think we have less of these days in terms of natural exploration, natural discovery of the games and the choices. Right. I think there's much more that people look up guides or they look up, you know. Uh, story choices and it's just so much a wealth of information right like back in the day you had to buy there was like an official guide that had like story choices or like secret items and stuff you like that. You bought a game and you bought the guidebook depending on
0: how crazy the game was nowadays yeah. you just buy the game and go on YouTube
1: I remember, I remember with like Final Fantasy, I want to say it was like 10 or something. I got literally, I bought like a book that was like that thick that had like all these like secret things and things you could do in the game and everything else. And like, it was an investment by itself to do that. And so you had these moments of discovery or where you made bad choices, right? Like it probably was not the best choice to approach Vermeer when you did, but you didn't know, you know? And like, it'll be interesting playing the games again for me now, the legendary edition coming out knowing more about what goes on and like i haven't done a dlc so that'll be like the fun sort of like i don't know what i'm getting into i don't know what the consequences of the decisions are like it'll all be fresh and new in that respect but um it's a very organic gaming experience that i think is a little bit going away that's kind of my side rant about that but coming to the issue you brought up of Caden versus ashley i didn't get rid of i I killed Caden as well not because i'm uh, closet homophobe, like some people might be. Wow, wow, wow! That's that's big. Listen, Cortez and three man. Yeah, you know, I flirted with Cortez big time. I was like Cortez, you
0: trying to get this? You trying? To, you got to, ooh, yeah. You know I mean, I did, I did my thing, man. I was like a little bi curious over
1: here. But no, then I was, like, the end of the day,
0: Tally's my girl, man. Like that's it. You know, you gotta go, kid.
1: Oh yeah, I mean Tally Tally was my love interest too. But um, I mean,
0: Kaden just also too like. He didn't his have a compelling story in the first one. Yeah, I like I, I guess... don't know how his
1: character would have developed, but at least in the first one, he seemed very, you know, like Ashley. Ashley had like story moments where you're like, "Wow, like what?" You know what I mean? Like we talked about that, like shooting Rex and stuff. Like she has like a personality. Um, she has a personality and wanted to see where that went. She wasn't my love interest in any of the games at all, but like I at least was curious about her character development because I'll also say, because we're sort of talking about characters a- and choices, like I really enjoyed how Mass Effect. Gave the characters stories outside of just their time with us, right? Like a lot of times it even felt like we set them up for things. And and I think like realistically we didn't like their stories were mostly plotted out of like, if they survived, they did X. It didn't matter. Like, it wasn't like there was like, you know, she goes here, she goes there. She got like, like there were options for them within the universe. It was just like, did you live or not? But we get that sense too, that like their time with us in our crew was almost a transformative experience because everyone leaves to go on to some other greater thing so to speak and a lot of that feels influenced by their time with us that makes the game feel very impactful you know what i mean
0: no and i think that's that's one of the cool things with mass Effect too two is that the transformation and the, and the journey of the characters i mean the whole point is you're building at the point in time it's like okay humans are the uh new kids on the, the block fresh species, species. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's just like no one really trusts them. There is a lot of racism, violence, xenophobia between the species. Ashley's a perfect example of that. Uh, I forget the other character, Mass Effect 2, uh, on the brig. He, uh, He's the same way, but but that's the whole point of Mass Effect. It is about, you know, inclusiveness and the fact of, yeah, you have to find a middle ground and you have to find, bring Krogan's and Solarians who have thousands of years of bad beef together and make them work together and squash that. Same thing with AI and humans. Same thing with the Turians and humans after the first contact wars. And, it does. I-, I think regardless of who you are as a-, a gamer, though, too, I think that's why it's so immersive, too, because you might have perceptions on certain characters, and honestly, some of your actual real life perceptions may, you know, bleed into the game and might change some opinions. I I mean, I don't know, but no, absolutely, the- of this storytelling.
1: Uh, well, because one of the things I I came across when I was researching for this a little bit was uh in February of two thousand twenty, so just just a year ago, honestly, one of the game. I know, I, I forget what his position was for the thing, but John Ebinger, who worked on Mass Effect at Bioware, worked on like games like Assassin's Creed and Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order, posted a tweet that something like 92% of Mass Effect players were Paragon. And, you know, he's, like, he's kind of joking. He's got, like, the sad face. Like, we put a lot of work into Renegade content, too. And I feel like it's just interesting how... Given this sort of like sandbox world of like, you can be good, you can be bad, like you can do not even bad, like renegade options, a lot of times were just like being badass sometimes, like not conforming to certain social See, norms. The renegade option, more than anything, it's only a few times
0: where like I picked renegade. I played pretty half and half. So, like, my first playthrough in two was tough because I didn't have full bars in either one. And uh, I didn't do the loyalty missions too, which we'll get to there with, with choices in the second one. But uh, again, that's my first experience doing Mass Effect at all. And I didn't. I wasn't aware of how important they were. I mean, uh, I did some, but not all of them.
1: They're called loyalty missions. <laughs> like... Yeah. Well,
0: again, like I like certain characters more than others. So like I did like Garris. Yes, I did tallies. I didn't, you know, I didn't do Jacobs. Uh, I don't think I did Jack's the first playthrough. Oh, uh, I, maybe I did Miranda's, but uh,
1: Jack was fucking crazy. I, Jack's
0: like, I, I'm going to. We'll go through. Dude. All right, right now, like, <laughs> okay. who's your who's your main booze? What's your what's your list? I know Tally's also your top, uh, but uh, I know on other playthroughs you had to pick somebody else. So who was who was the side piece?
1: <laughs> you know, when you put it like that, it just it really degrades the whole relationship. Um, no, so oh, my gosh. Ta-
0: <laughs> Listen, the Normandy is like a giant it's like a sex boat. It's a, it's a space It's a restaurant. Let's be it's honest.
1: A <laughs> it's a little it's, ridiculous. It no, really it's is. It's a getting, restaurant. You know? It's the whole I mean, it, we all getting, work together, we all fuck together. He's giving handjobs up in the
0: cockpit <laughs> and you're like, oh okay, I was trying up here trying to talk about a mission.
1: Right, no, and Joker is just putting together his own personal sex spot. Uh <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And they're just it's like really... it's cool,
0: man. Like we're gonna we might die soon. <laughs> and it's cool. Live your best life. And like that's that's the beauty of Mass Effect, right? It's live your best life.
1: It really is something else uh i mean so my first playthrough what i'll i'll consider my uh poor playthrough however you want to think of it uh Tally. tally Your was years, uh... yeah <laughs> it was all through the first three games uh it was Tali all the way and i will admit like once or twice i might have done one of those where like i might have made it like a side choice to sort of see what happened and then reloaded a save and be like no we're, we're straight where's team tally um and so I would say that if it wasn't Tally, the other person that I was like chick number two on my list would be Liara. Uh, Liara is definitely. Nice. I I don't know what it is about her. If it's like the she's really just kind of like nice, basically. Like she seemed very emotionally stable, which Jack did not have going on at all. I like, like
0: Jack. Yeah. Uh,
1: Jack. Jack was such a. I like. I was weird for me to see the part where we we find her teaching. the academy later on like the grissom academy or whatever it's called um because like my impression of her from like the time that she spent on our squad was like this bitch is like absolutely just like fucking out there like and then to see her teaching people and and like defending them and everything else was just like girl you really had some character development there holy shit liara i think miranda lawson would be my third i was never miranda's fan you know didn't like her. yeah
0: why not it was always about her uh I mean, even her sex scene, uh, <laughs> you know, she's riding in the engine room. She's like, yeah, look at me. It's just like, whatever, get out of here. Yeah, you know I mean, she's like, what well, is the team player? It's all about, I'm perfect. Who? Because, like, someone said to you, I well, get the fuck out of here.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, genetically, she is, isn't she? Right? Like, He's that's, that's, that's she's her joking. story. She, she, don't was, like her. she was made. She's,
0: she's a Cerberus <laughs> crony. At least Jacob was like, yeah, you know, it's a paycheck. Sometimes I'm kind of like, "Hey guys, you seem a bit eccentric. I don't know if I trust you completely." And as a black guy, I'm definitely like, eh, "I don't know about this." so I was like, "You know what, Jacob? You're all right, man. You're right." Miranda, though, she's drinking
1: the Kool Aid. I didn't like that. I'm like, I mean, she was. She gets away from that in the long run, right? She does. Like she
0: does, especially in the third. But through the through the second one, not a fan. Um, honestly, one of the mission, one of the parts in the game that legitimately I had to stop and walk away from. I'm not sure if you ever had any emotions like this when i did yes the, i have emotions uh... thank you neil <laughs> yes I,
1: yeah. I i have had emotions in my life Listen, it's, it's been known it to happen yeah. occasionally yeah. Yeah. i know I'm a robot sympathizer i'm not actually a robot though <laughs> well
0: my trained apathy i was like what's ha- what, is, what am i experiencing right now i was having like panic attacks playing through mass effect i was like i've shut myself down for so long just to <laughs> just to like achieve my goals i'm like what is this yeah <laughs>
1: what is happening when you find more emotional connection with the games uh
0: pretty much no but uh when i played through the uh the first and the second one for the first time liara was my boo in the first one because uh she really is way more compassionate than ashley is ash is really like kind of a vile character in the first one uh she her arc improves but she definitely is like man she's very anti i kept her not because i liked her
1: i kept her because because she was interesting not because I thought she was actually like <laughs> a no, good agreed. person. She just
0: did have a still better story than Caden yeah. did. But I did Liara and I do like Liara a lot. And uh, in the second one, the shadow broke in the DLC, depending on how you are and everything else, there is, you know, a second kind of reconnect kind of thing, uh, which is cool. So, you know, I got a little <laughs> womp, womp in the second. But uh, Tally was my boo. And I liked Tali in the first one. And the second one, definitely my love interest. But in mean, the Mars mission, the third, like as soon as you finally are out of the gate, she's like, What's going on with us? And it's like, ah shit, what it what is going on with this? Cause it's like the world's on fire, literally. And I I guess I gotta make a choice now. Am I riding with Liar Or, you know, I haven't seen is Tally in the game still? I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't discovered her yet. Do I say like yeah, or do I hold out and be like, no, Tally's still my boo? You know, we're carrying things over from the suicide mission. We're still doing pretty good. You know what I mean? We're not we're Facebook official, like we're gonna see how this goes. I had to walk away from the game at that point and be like. Am I going to am I going to bang out Liara this entire game or like me and Tally, you know, making some weird core and babies. Ugh. I don't
1: I don't know. And uh, I went out on Tally. Well, I mean right choice obviously cuz I will support you there. So, I'd like to switch over a little bit maybe towards the choices that we've been talking about, the choices we made. We we've talked about Vermir, we have talked about Ashley and Caden. I'm trying to think of what else would be the Rachni Queen and the Council. Or I think are the other two sort of like major choices you're making in the first game right mm. now the arachne queen to be totally fair i don't think is ends up being a consequential choice right like no matter what you do she comes back one way or another or like the arachne come back one way or another in later game it makes the combat harder
0: i think if you kill her because then it's strictly reapers i think that's the the difference in it
1: interesting
0: oh uh, i'm sorry I've, i forget too it, it has been a bit because there is like a thing you where, can like, get them on your
1: side or some some shit like. It doesn't. It, I don't like. I don't think it plays out as being as consequential, maybe as it could be. But at the, but regardless, I think it's one of those decisions that in the first game, I felt strongly about, at least like what to do with this other alien race, and has some real Starship Trooper vibes.
0: It does. And to your point, again, the evolution of everything you kind of taught about the Raknai is they're these savage, uh, brutal insect creatures, and very Starship Troopers like uh, the Krogans, which are essentially just militant war force. Uh, clan-like kind of uh, species is essentially a gun for hire to get rid of the arachni, which were going to run rampant all over the universe. And for as strong as the Krogan then got, then the Salarians end up shooting them in the back and creating the Genophage, right? But mm-hmm. uh, when you finally do meet the Arachni queen, it's again like, this is a living species. This, is, this isn't this is the Geth. It's not the Reapers. It's not AI. This is a, a living thing and pleading for its life with you in that game. And I think in that point in time, and I think that's the beauty of Mass Effect and the storytelling is regardless of who you are, it's decisions like that to where you're like, yeah, like, can you pull the trigger on that? And I think what I love about this entire franchise is there's not too many times I've played through the game and been like, just do the opposite choice to see what happens. I mean, it's certain playthroughs, but I still try to play games like Mass Effect as like, what would I do in those scenarios? And Yeah, uh, I just
1: need to ask myself, what would Neil do? <laughs> but that was, that was a tough one. So I did look this up to see what consequence it has in the long run, because I had forgotten, because um, I never... I never took the other side. I always saved her. Uh, to me, it was a clear choice. I was I was a very paragon player. Obviously, if you kill her, um, the Reapers build a clone, known as the Breeder, and then you will have the option to either side with the Breeder or some Krogans. Basically, it seems like when you're when you're presented with that choice, it's actually a trap because it seems like. It's a fair choice between do you want Krogan's, do you want the, the the breeder with all of her like many, many children and stuff like that, blah, blah. But if you end up choosing the breeder, she doesn't continue to assist you, right? Like in the final game stuff, like the asset she provides isn't permanent. So by the time you get to the final mission, she's no longer providing a benefit. Whereas if you side with the Krogan's, the Krogan's will be there with you all the way through to the end so it's a kind of a trick essentially now you can get the krogan's and the rachni if you save the queen in the first game so it is consequential in terms of your assets that you have available to you in for the final battle i didn't realize that actually i thought i thought it was more of a throwaway decision uh, than it actually is and i'm glad they saved her then wait because with the third one the battle preparedness is a big one going to
0: the final battle. they did do away with the third the multiplayer in the third one,
1: Legendary Edition, which is something we forgot.
0: Yeah, we didn't on. mention that.
1: Yeah, they got but, uh, I, Oh, how do you feel about that, by the way? Do you are you glad they got rid of the multiplayer? I like the
0: multiplayer, the, and I'm
1: not I play
0: a lot of single player games and it is nice to kind of you know, waiting for May to kind of get back into Mass Effect would be a lot of fun, but I do miss the chance to then play with my boys online in Mass Effect and updated graphics. Uh I mean that's kind of a game like Gears to where I feel like uh, you know friends of the show i mean jjt all of us that's uh, like gears you just pick it back up and yeah. like nothing ever stopped and it's loads and loads of fun same well, thing with, like ultimate yeah.
1: alliance you know it's i, just, you I would have been go. okay with them removing it as a requirement because it basically was right like you couldn't get the best endings without being fully prepared and you couldn't get preparedness without playing the multiplayer so it was essentially a required thing to do And if you don't want to play multiplayer, like you want a single player experience, then you're being forced to do something you don't want. So I would have supported a change to make that not necessary. Like it can still contribute to preparedness, but give us a way to reach max preparedness in game, which is obviously what they must have done at this point, right? Like if they've scrapped it entirely, there must be a way to do that. So it could have just been like this or that. You can play the multiplayer or you can get prepared single player, like whatever. Give us the choice because... One of the things I liked about the multiplayer, too, was the ability to try out different abilities, try out different classes. I didn't have to commit to a whole new playthrough or a whole new type of character to get a sense of, like, the core gameplay. Like, how do these abilities interact and the explosions with um, the biotics was really cool, you know what I mean? Like, I never would have played a biotic character if I hadn't played the multiplayer and enjoyed that gameplay loop so to speak uh and that's i'm gonna miss that personally
0: i'm with you and same thing with weapons too because you couldn't pick your weapons out of the gate so it forced you then to change your play style honestly if i'm going to be a bit critical i think a lot of people just didn't like it not so much because of the i want to be single player i think it showed that they're not that good at mass effect players (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna go there i was straight up (laughs) you know because you had you you had
1: to know what you were doing and like you you, like i don't know maybe just being infiltrator you got used to not wasting your shots so it's an interesting take i'm kind of i'm kind of pondering my experience the multiplayer and i do remember at times just wrecking people and at other times just getting absolutely wrecked i mean honestly i would probably well that's i
0: don't want mass effect to go like cod but i would i would easily pay
1: 20 bucks for just a mass effect multiplayer yeah, if they uh, did it know, as a small a little spin-off bucks. kind of thing, yeah.
0: And like yeah. again, like, even like the game's
1: there. there. You know how much would it really take to polish that turd up a little bit, and you know what I mean, and sell it. My concern would be loot boxes because oh, there was I'm kind sure of too. that in it. There was kind of that in it before. Was the loot boxes because like to get like certain like, unlocks, characters, weapons, et a yeah. You earned. Loot it was boxes based over on time. challenges though. That was the thing yeah. here, too. If you survived the waves,
0: you got some of those better loot boxes. So it yeah. wasn't pay to play, which also is you know preferred way to play multiplayer
1: that would be my concern if they did reintroduce it that it would move away from the challenge system that like it's it really just comes down to the it's part of the gameplay to pay to win essentially of like hey i'll just buy you know gold tier you know loot boxes whatever to unlock the the best shit so the, the the final one from the main game would be what did you do with the council
0: I killed him, I think. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, because I put. I think.
1: Was that an easy choice for you to make?
0: No, it was not. It was not. No, it was not. Because again, it's. uh, They're asses to you the whole time. They don't trust humans. And, you know, they give you the Spectre status. And even with Saren and then saving the Citadel, Mm -hmm. I think I did have Udina on the council. I forget if I put Anderson or Udina. it's been a while, honestly. Uh, it's
1: okay. It's okay. We understand. Old okay. people forget things. <laughs> <Aber değilim. laughs>
0: but no, I did get rid of them because I think it just came down to the fact that they still, after saving Citadel and essentially the universe, they still were like, oh, here we go. And it's just like, you know, fuck you guys. You know, I'm cool with everybody being on the council. I'm cool with the Torrens, I'm cool with the uh, Salarians. And I'm cool with the Asari still having roles. But who we got right here, I think life terms, they're coming to an end. So I was like, get out of here. Uh, I think I was my beef with it, but that was that was a tough call. That was another one, too. I, I think I kind of took a break, st- stepped away from it for like a minute or two because it's like, is it the right thing to do? How much of Renegade do you have to do? And I think that's when Renegade decisions have their best effect. Is Again, it's a hard decision, but is it the right decision? Play the rest of the game to, to kind of tell.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know I struggled with it, too, personally, because the character I was playing was... Like my head cannon was he's very loyal to his crew. And so, like, crew squad first, basically. And a lot of times the council just seems to be using you and, and your crew for their own ends. And, and they don't really care if you live or die or whatever the fuck. Like they, it's just- They're not even collective to the universe. It's just for their own species, which is what bothered me with the, the council. It's like,
0: you guys don't even... The Torn's not too, too bad, but the Asaurian Salarian especially were like, made us cared about the Asaurian Salarians. And it was just like you guys are the head of intergalactic council and you just want to self serve, like get the fuck out of here. And I think that's what, you know, kind is like, all right, you know, if there's a chance for the new guard, yeah, it's a terrible decision, but that's kind of part of being shepherd. You have to make those tough calls. Yeah.
1: I mean, so ultimately I did end up saving them because while I didn't like or respect the council, maybe like, like I said, most of my renegade choices were in regards to them, the way I treated them and talked to them and stuff like that. It was kind of, at the time in my head I'm like learn from this like you you now exist because of me and I was young enough to to believe that somehow my my head cannon was going to be the game cannon of like okay I spared these guys so going forward. Yeah. they're gonna know what's up they're gonna know like i'm 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 the dude right like you live because i chose they're gonna see you
0: on a sit down be like oh yeah, i'm going yeah, my yeah, life right. way back yeah here's a sandwich yeah
1: yeah right like that i'm gonna get some consideration they're gonna they're gonna change their ways now that i chose to save them they'll be better than they were like you know i had all those thoughts when i was playing through and i made that choice maybe sort of naively but i stand by the decision for the most part because i don't know that i like the idea I don't know if I've ever chosen... So this is going to be interesting because come Legendary Edition, what I do, I don't know that I've ever chosen to kill the council and therefore it becomes, what, all humans, right? Uh, No, it still stays. uh, I think as it's presented to you... If you kill them, you can end up with a purely human council. It depends on your morality. So killing the council and uh, who becomes chairman if the council sacrifice, whether you choose Anderson or Rudina, and your morality, you could end up with a multi-species council or purely human council i didn't even realize that was like a like a like how that was calculated so to speak no because i i do know yeah i didn't have the whole
0: human council then so again my renegade decisions weren't completely renegade and piece of yeah. shit it was uh, <laughs> still trying to make the hard tough decisions but it i think there's a lot of so many characters though too, like that in the mass effect universe that are they villains are they not just by kind of, you know, being sent their ways and stubborn, I think that's what kind of makes the game so great. And then you have these conflicts between species, like now you're getting involved with what to do with the genophage, Uh, Mm -hmm. getting involved with what to do with uh, the Geth and the Quarians. And it's not just the the human components then too. It's like, okay, you kind of have to play God in a certain way. And I think that's when it's tough when, if you play through the game the right way and you, you do all these side missions and you're talking to all your characters and you learn the depths of their characters and credit to the storyboard team with uh, Mass Effect and Bioware. Yeah. None of these decisions are easy, no matter what. Uh, I think it's a game too, to where like you really just can't choose to go, I'm going to go all Paragon or all Renegade. I think you do yourself a disservice on any of the games if you play through that way.
1: I would agree. And I think it's also not uh how would I phrase it like a sincere way of playing the game like not an honest way you know what i mean because you can you can know what's the paragon and what's the renegade option you can always choose one or the other but i think if you're playing honestly and sincerely there are times you will choose something different because that's the choice that resonates with you that's the choice that makes sense or whatever uh your reasoning is like i don't think anyone you know Comments below if you disagree with this, but I don't think anyone could legitimately play through choosing just Paragon or just Renegade and fully identify with those decisions as being authentic the way they they believe. All right, the second one. Yeah.
0: I think the biggest thing we have, the Geth Heretics and the Suicide Mission, and I think this is yeah. what the Geth Heretics we can talk about, and I kind of want to know about your first play through the Suicide Mission, because mine was a shit storm it was i still have nightmares about it i wake up i start screaming you know i think it's honestly why i'm still single i wake up I'm like oh tally miranda I'm like, you you know, I'm like, I like who are you talking about And i'm like oh, it's <laughs> terrible
1: my suicide mission i think went rather well and that comes back to what we talked about before of my completionist work ethic of doing i'll do all your learning missions i'll do everything i can to to power you up and um i'm a min maxer at heart played a lot of like world of warcraft and stuff like that and I do play Dungeons and Dragons and, and trying okay, to brag. Okay. Well, it, it, it's <laughs> just stuff that I do, but my point being that I have that, I had, I had that mentality of like, what's numerically the best fit. Do we cover all of our weaknesses? For example, do we have our incendiary ammo or warp ammo or whatever? You know what I mean? Like making armor piercing and, and making sure that we've got things covered or tungsten for all the different situations. So like I'm trying to think if I lost anyone on my suicide mission before obviously shit went and hit the fan. I don't think I did. I think, I think I got through it pretty well. Although I do think this might be one of the times that I might've gotten meta. I might've looked up some sort of guide or something to give me ideas on how to Yo, The, the choices. And after I I said that, like, this is like a, a, an experience that's going away because we look up guides and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I denied myself that experience, but I got scared, man. It's this, it's the fucking, it's called the suicide mission. Like it's, it's not, it's, you know what I it's mean? It, like it's a stressful period. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, it
0: it's, is not a, not an easy thing. Like it when it you specifically have to
1: tells you when you, when you go to do it, it's like, understand that once you choose to begin this mission, your choices are set in stone. You cannot go back. You cannot do anything else. Like you are, you are on this. It, it, it's, it freaked me the fuck out. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah the
0: honestly the death sequences if you i mean yeah you could go on youtube now and watch them i watched my brother play through the suicide mission first then i played through it he had i think two deaths and then like I, I didn't i only did a handful of loyalty missions i think i did like garris tally uh jack and miranda i forget which one i think jack because miranda died on mine and i i didn't lose anybody the first two goes i'm um, saying so, no, i lost jacob in the first one, because I didn't do his, uh, his mission. He wasn't low. And I had him lead to the vents because he was at the tech and everything else. And that's, I think the tough part of the suicide mission as well is you have to lose a squad member based on how you're going through. So depending on how you play, how you leveled up your comfort level, Mm -hmm. I think that's tough in itself. And if they die, I mean, that's one less person to choose from than two going through what a four part mission. Uh, I watched
1: Normandy collector base, infiltration, collector base, long walk, final battle. Yeah. four.
0: When I watched my brother Nick play the first time, he lost Samara. And when you're doing the biotic in the field, and like, it's brutal. I'm sorry, no, he lost Grunt. I'm sorry, he lost Grunt. He, he had Samara and like, she couldn't keep the field up. And then Grunt got like basically picked up and taken by the swarm. And like, Grunt's a complete badass. And you just see him get like devoured. And you're like, the whole playthrough, you're like, this guy's a fucking just human killing machine. Like, nothing gets in his way. Well, I shouldn't say human, he's just a killing machine. He's just helpless. And you're like, holy shit. When I did my final playthrough, then I think I took Thane and Garrus, so I took some extra firepower. And I had Jacob died, and I think I had somebody else die in between two. It might have no. I'm sorry. I took I took uh, Garrus and uh, Grunt with me. There wasn't much firepower left to defend, and without the loyalty, I had more did die on me and like that was crazy because like the scene is basically like him shot in the head like up against the wall just yes. like shaking basically was still just like shock from getting killed which is like just horrifying miranda's dead body is just getting dragged by the collectors like it was brutal man you're just like holy shit and tally died too then i was just like oh my god it was fucking just brutal oh
1: so this is this is the vermire travesty all over again man Look yeah that. no you it didn't was, learn your lesson on, well you said uh, you played I mean, the second game not, first right so you didn't you didn't have the vermire experience before you came to this
0: no not at all and if this was just me jumping oh, into mass man. effect for the first time going to the suicide mission and i was like holy shit now grant i didn't lose any of my other crew because i did the suicide mission basically right away uh i didn't waste any time and you can lose crew members if you get to that point of no return and start doing side missions and don't hop to the suicide mission so that's the one positive but yeah i mean i'm glad it saves right before you do that mission because uh like i said man wake up night terrors start crying out people's names it's it's a brutal life i live man it, it stays with you just like that first playthrough was not not the best moment
1: God, oh, dude i can imagine
0: uh yeah yeah you can feel the trauma in just this episode
1: <laughs> it really is just just leaking off of you such is such as
0: my life, man. My game experiences mirror my real life. <laughs> <laughs> Your life is a tragedy. Just trauma. It's just a giant Greek
1: tragedy. <laughs> oh man. Um, I mean, so you did not have a good experience with that, obviously. What did you do with I the death?
0: I'm sorry, no, the first time I played through it, I think I think I split. Going through playing through the first one and then the second one, I got rid of them. So the gameplay, the game mode I'm most happy was when I played the first, second, and third, all the way through. And on that play mode, I got rid of the, the Geth, which I'm happy about, too, with the impacts it has in the third, but playing through the first one, though, too, had a new vantage point on how much the Geth are pieces of shit, basically. And <laughs> you kind of see that in the first one. Just going, jumping into the second one, there's a bit more room for sympathy because you're just getting tallies POV depending on how you play. Mm-hmm. Legion is pretty cool. And uh, you can definitely be like, all right, there's no reason for me to you know, kill these guys. I like, guess they're sentient beings, but they're still trying to live their lives and coexist. And the first one, it's like the Geth are easily controlled and manipulated. And again, if they're going to side with the Reapers, yes, you want to have everybody coexist and live happily ever after. But again, I'm in the business of killing Reapers. <laughs> And business is booming.
1: I mean, but refresh my my memory, though. The Geth didn't actually side with the Reapers, right? They're more hijacked by them, hacked by them, however you want to phrase that. Well, that's the heretic
0: part of it, is that some of them are kind of choosing to do so. They see the Reapers as basically these godlike beings and that they have the answers and that they should align with them. And I think that's where it comes into. In the first one, yes, they kind of are hijacked a bit more and going. But they're presented then too as these robots that overran organic beings with the Corians. so it's like they're militant they're trying to kill you you don't want really to get too much sympathy from geth in the first one they're viewed as yeah. an enemy Ma-
1: the very first mass-, mass effect sets a very bad tone for the geth which i think is part of what made legion an interesting character in the second one because you're like wait now you're telling me one of these fucks is going to be on my squad like really he does save you as his first intro so yeah i mean he, he does start
0: in good graces
1: yeah, and and from power gaming, like, meta standpoint, I think he's too strong of a character to ignore um, with what he can do. I'm trying to remember if I rewrote or if I destroyed them. I want to say I rewrote them. Because, like, in general, I I just believed in things' ability to change, and I also was kind of paranoid in my playthrough of, like, closing off options down the road, which, again, like, my naivety when I was playing, right? Because, like, realistically, you choose to rewrite, you've locked in a certain story line at that point um regardless right but i think my logic at the time was kind of like well if i if i destroy them now they're just gone if i rewrite them then like there's still a chance to sort of persuade or change or convert them or like you know what i mean like i keep my options open by rewriting and so it was kind of, it was maybe a little bit like being too meta for my own good and sort of pussyfooting around that i didn't like commit to something because i think the decision to rewrite them was not based on Necessarily believing in that choice as much as I was too scared to commit to the finality of destroying them and like they're just gone. Then there's no other option. Now, how was the suicide mission for you? I mean, like I said before, the suicide mission was overall not bad for me. I had my squad. I knew what they were good at and what they did, and like I had done on the loyalty missions and side missions and stuff. And and I I the mechanic was some sort of like defense value is calculated the characters you assign and it's mostly decided by your squad members so if you take people along who are loyal to you and everything else and offense oriented I think was also like a good thing I forget if that was I forget how it was calculated exactly but it was mostly based on who you took with you and by that point in the game I already knew who my strong characters were basically and I had done all the loyalty missions anyway so I'm trying to think who my actual Squad was for that mission. Thane or Legion was was it Legion? Did I take Legion on my suicide mission? I might have taken Legion, or nice. was it Thane? It's one of those. I, two. I took in the line,
0: in the boss battle. I take Thane and Legion. That's that's my go-to from here on out. as infiltrator? Uh, really? Yeah. The boss battle. How would you put aside? I take I take, Garrison, I take Garrison Tally out of the gates, and then uh... I think the second part or the third part is uh a bit kind of uh, rotating because you can kind of use anybody in that with the swarms and whatnot. So it really depends yeah. on how you want to go at it. The final battle in the third one, though, is that got crazy. That was one of the most stressful experiences of all time, I think, for me. Um, that was like an hour of playing, I think, straight, maybe more than that because I didn't know how that shit was going to go down. I didn't know how it was going to end. I mean, uh, I
1: still remember crawling across the ground, you know, just beaten, destroyed and trying to get to that beam of light. Just like it was yeah. No bueno, man
0: i class and then i had tally and garris with me and when i first played through that i didn't know if somebody died during that mission if they're going to stay dead and mm-hmm. i basically ran a medigel so i had to give everybody revives like on the go so <laughs> it got crazy i'm like so you're just running just trying back to and forth people. like revive, revive it was revive. yeah it was brutal yeah because uh i forget <laughs> the the giant tank things you have to fight what they're called i'm throwing semtex bombs on them as best i yeah. can uh it got to a point like i said i played for at least an hour hour and a half of like just going back and forth keeping garrison tally alive. one dies i'm like headshot somebody running down reviving somebody it got crazy i get to the point where i'm just like i can't keep this up like they're both gonna die i'm gonna die like i don't if, if i die does like that's the game like it ends like i don't like i don't i don't know at this point this is my you know i'm playing mass effect three for the first time when it's out and i forget this like tally love of my life in mass effect I'm like, oh my god getting picked <laughs> up by uh by a, a siren and uh you know it's it's got by like the head and they do like the impale through the uh the chest motion yep, yep. And i have her <laughs> i have the uh the black uh whatchamacallit the black widow lined up <laughs> and it's uh it's perfect just headshot dropped it because if i had the uh, infiltrator shield it was like buku damage <laughs> kill the siren. I'm like, you know, we'll get out of here. These Adnak Yashi is sorry bullshit. Like, this shit's too dangerous. You almost died. I can't handle this. My stress is through the roof. I think I'm thinking having a stroke middle of this fucking battle. Like, we gotta go. So, I ran to the freaking thing, finished the mission, and then, you know, the, the rest is the Mass Effect 3 uh, history kind of thing, whether you love yeah. the ending or not. My ma- my shepherd lives, so of course, I'm happy with the ending.
1: <laughs> um, Did he, though, did he really... I don't know. I mean, so that mission for me was... I didn't try to save everyone, because at that point, I think I remember feeling hopeless. Um, and we haven't talked about this yet, but, like, the games for me created emotions, right? I have those, um, despite uh, local opinion. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I remember distinctly, right, like, playing, like, the first two games, and then traveling in the open planets and stuff like that, which now is probably something that... would would be frustrating to have all that empty space and time and stuff. And even like those long elevator rides were boring. But like at the same time, like for me, they created this very this sense of vastness in the world. Like there's just this infinite universe with all this space. This galaxy is massive and like all that empty space and all that time that you spend traveling everywhere actually added to my experience at the time. So I don't know how I feel about it now. And And one of the things that might be interesting is to play – Legendary edition with all that stuff sort of like, shall we say massaged or changed or however they updated it. And then playing the original versions to see the, does it still hold the same impact? Cause at the time it was good. It made me feel like this is a very big, big universe. It, it made me feel very small part of that. And I think the second time that I felt small was here at the ending it was the second, like it, it, like it kind of got back to where it started for me that like, after everything I've come through, after everything I've fought and done and all of these missions and crazy shit and like here I am like literally like on the ground crawling as a last hope to this beam of light to, to potentially fix or solve or something with this, you know what I mean? And it just felt so hopeless and I felt so small in the context of the universe that mass effect had created in the context of the story. You know what I mean? Cause you really do start off as kind of a nobody rise to power, get the specter status and stuff revive. And now you're you, but not you. And you've got enhancements and stuff going on. You really do start. Like there is this like power creep in the game where you feel like you're becoming a big player. The people, you know, are moving up, becoming generals and teachers and, and getting all these postings and stuff and, and diplomats and, then you get to the end and you're just, it's like, all of that means nothing. You're just, you're just a tiny part of this world and this universe and you're inconsequential and you could die at any moment. Like a stray bullet will take you down and put you out. And it's, and I still remember feeling very almost hollow when I got to the end. Now you bring up a good point too, with the
0: third end. and like
1: we kind of Tarantino with it, talking about the
0: ending before really getting into it. But um, <laughs> the third one is such a beautiful game. And I, it irks me because I think people forget how great of a job they do of creating that wartime. Every decision feels impactful, meaningful. And that first playthrough, you are just stressed. And like it's such a great experience going through because you yeah. don't know what the hell is going to happen. It starts off Reapers, boom, hit Earth. The thing you've been telling council and everybody, they're like, No, 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 no. And it's like, boom, it's fucking here. You've been trying to get people prepared. It's a bit of a sales pitch here. That's why I will say play the arrival as the last mission to do on the second one. Because that DLC sets up everything so perfectly starting the third. And I feel like you have a just a fantastic experience going through that, dealing with Harbinger, and then how the third starts. It's such a perfect DLC segue and was a great teaser at the time and still is. But you hit Earth, you, you go into Mars, you then you find out Cerberus, who basically turned into anti-hero and in the second one, you know, they brought you back alive you have know, a bit of sympathy to them compared to the, you know, terroristic xenophobes they were in the first one. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, now they're back to their old ways and you can't really trust them. So you almost have this two front war, but then it's like every plant you go to, then you have the depth of the characters you fall in love with, with, you know, Garrus, Tally, uh, you know, even seeing Jack in a new light and how the war is and impacting them. And it's like the Torrens is supposed to be these great, Uh, military strategists and it's like they're pushed against the wall they don't know what to do and it's like this is one of the biggest military forces in the universe Yeah, and they're just getting devastated and just each of the scenes coming into these planets and you see these home worlds for the first time it's I don't have any words to describe it it's one of the best gaming experiences I've ever had and I'm excited for other people to explore it for the first time and experience it but as a Mass Effect fan going through that that first playthrough, I, I'll never forget it. It was just... It was a masterpiece. It really was.
1: Well, And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking like a long pause as I sort of collect my thoughts here because it does feel like we're moving sort of to the close. And and as we move towards that, I guess what I'll say is the first game when I played it really got me into this world of Mass Effect, of the Reapers. Saren, I thought, was a phenomenal villain. Like The character, the way he was portrayed and everything else was great great boss battle too um yeah and then the fact that you know we effectively died at the end of the first one and then we're resurrected and set, like i didn't see it coming i didn't know what to expect and that also is like what the fuck like i didn't, I didn't even know in the second game that i was going to be playing the same character or not um at that point really threw me for a loop you know so the first game was a phenomenal introduction to this to the franchise one of the best video game villains i think i've ever encountered in terms of both being just a really good boss battle, first of all, like that was a fun battle to fight, but also in terms of his story and everything else Mm -hmm. also sets up this creeping dread. Then for the rest of it, like, are you being taken over? Because they expand upon this then kind of in the second one that like the longer and more slowly that the Reapers are corrupting you, the more like free will you retain. Like you don't go into that like zombie catatonic state right like when they kind of like mind wipe and just like grab you and so this creates that like lingering doubt like are your choices your own like how much are you becoming the next Saren? and then the second game even you're, you're like literally a whole other person because you've been resurrected now and you go through and you see the destruction everywhere i still remember going like what you said like you see these planets and how fucked up they are and like you go in and you do one specific small thing you can't save everyone and literally you're watching the rest of the planet get destroyed around you and like there's nothing you can do about it. There's just, it doesn't matter. There's not an option. It's not like a story choice. It's not like a, do I have a preparedness or fleet assets or anything like that? It's just literally like you have to go in and hope you're able to accomplish the small thing that you came here to accomplish for the bigger picture because you can't save everyone. It's just impossible, you know? And then the third game brings that all home. And like I said, like by the third game, by the end of the third game, Felt very empty, very hollow, very small, very weak. And um, I will say, even though I was personally satisfied with my choice of synthesis, that sort of like creeping doubt of, was I corrupted by the Reaper somewhere along the way? The only way you know that you weren't corrupted is what you did and destroying the Reapers. If you chose synthesis or control, you don't know for a fact that that was your own choice that you made or that you weren't persuaded.
0: All I'm saying is you listen to Crucible, which is this, you know, basically imaginary kid you see in a dream once in a while, and you're going to base an intercollective decision on, you know, you just you just sleep deprived and stress the fuck out and beat <laughs> up. Like, I, that's a bad day. I you mean, know, bad yeah, but right I
1: there. was I mean, my, 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 I said before, like my motivation was a lot of and a lot of 80, a lot of like okay. even Joker's views and Tali's like kind of take on things. And, and this idea of like, no, I, I get it. there I should do. be some sort of peace between artificial life and organic life but how do you achieve that piece it's not by domination it's not by control you can't just commit genocide and destroy all of it it's got to be through some sort of and synthesis was that option right so no and and honestly that it, that was a tough decision all things considered because i did i was able to
0: save the geth and uh the quarians on rannoch i wasn't i fucked that up somehow that that's a another scene too to where depending on how things play out for you that can be a gut-wrenching and especially if talia's your love that movie, was a straight reload I, I fucked that up
1: i fucked uh, it because i couldn't save both i fucked it up and i sided because i was like oh no like the the geth legion like their bros they'll be good and then when tali i was like nope reload nah. No, that i mean
0: that's and <laughs> not, her, not happening. Death, her death scene is because there was one playthrough yeah i think it was my third or fourth on the third and like i had Lear as a love interest and uh seeing tally go as a former like love interest in the second one was brutal but i was able to save him because i had uh, she was still an admiral and i had uh a paragon and renegade up high enough to make the choice legion still was gone but i was able to save them but again Ben, you kind of have to look back and be like i just saved the geth and you know yes th- i thought that was the right decision to do and some of these decisions that are based too of how you are, are you preparing for military or are you empathetic of the fact of like, everybody deserves to coexist and go. And for me, most of my playthrough is, is on that mindset, but there's some decisions that they counsel everything else. To. You're like, how much are they standing in the way of that kind of overlapping goal of coexisting and making sure everybody has their piece of the pie. And it's not just, yeah, we're just living basically through a charity case through the Reapers or self-serving. Mm-hmm. and then yeah ultimately having to destroy all sentient beings it was like yes the, the geth are a casualty of war but to me it was like at the end of the day if that's the only way to kill the reapers and they're the overlapping threat that's the only right choice because that threat's always going to exist and there's no way i can guarantee they're going to be gone unless i do that and again three games in the business of killing reapers and business is <laughs> booming <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you put yourself out of business at the end of the third, obviously, because you just fucked and destroyed them Stock all. Stock price is pretty good, though. <laughs> oh, damn, dude. That's crazy.
0: But now the third and what I do get mad about, too, with the third and what I I'm sure I will get stick in the comments from people, too, with praising the third one as much as I did. It got so much heat with how it ended and people felt like decisions we've talked about so much already didn't have weight and the magnitude they thought they were. And you can make a case in certain decisions, yes, sure. But then I kind of counted that too because the game has to end some way. And I think it was such a one in a kind kind of experience, and we didn't really see anything else like that at that point in time. It's tough then to remove yourself and be like, yeah, it's over. And I think that's a tough thing to come to terms with. And no matter what, no ending, and any sort of trilogy, the third movies, you can always say, is kind of the worst because of that. Because it has to end somehow, and it's tough to tie all the knots and bring everything together. But me making the right choice, where well, I felt was the right choice, I'm happy with it. Why well, I give Wait. the game so much more props, though, too, is the response the fans had and bashing the ending. And Bioware reacted and gave free DLC with the expansion. And yes, the expansion wasn't much, but... Name me another time a developer had did that at that point in time. That was a first for the industry in video games, for a developer to listen to fans and be like, we hear you, we're trying to make amends. Didn't charge anything for it, just gave it out free. Was it perfect? No. But the fact they listened and did something, I don't think fans give Bioware any enough props for that. That was
1: pretty damn cool and pretty damn big. I mean, I think we're seeing... And so again, we're stepping away a little bit from maybe the main topic, but I still think it's important to to say fans are in some ways, I think, ruining the things they enjoy because there is this weird sense of entitlement. And it came out with the Mass Effect 3 ending and people feeling like things weren't sufficiently consequential, impactful. And I disagree. Like a lot of the characters had their own side stories and things and they got resolved. You know what I mean? Like did they, did it play into perhaps the, the final battle the final decision? No, but the choices still had storylines that went places that resolved in different fashions that like, you know what I mean? Like how much of that was on rails again? Like if you look behind the scenes, like it might've been more on rails than it might've seemed at first, but at a first playthrough, like I said before, you really feel like the characters changed or grew or evolved with their time spent on the Normandy and went on to bigger and better things or different things and became more like authentic or true versions of themselves to a certain extent. Um, And making a game that literally takes every choice you make into account becomes just so mind bogglingly like complex as to, to you're almost getting to the point of running a simulation. Like it's not really Mm. a game. It's a simulation now that you're getting to that point of like all these branching decisions and all the uh, branching effects that could be had. And like maybe it's my main point a little bit, right? Like we've seen it with uh, the Star Wars franchise and the bullying that happened with several of the characters, actually with their portrayals. That, like they didn't like the Jar Jar Bing's voice. They didn't like what was your name, Tam or whatever, uh, from mm-hmm. the new trilogy. They, Last Jedi. Yeah. yeah, they didn't like they didn't like the, like the kid uh, who played Anakin and stuff like like it's just it's it's they're, they're twins. Then. It's very very bad the way people real people get treated we see it happening again i think most recently what's on my mind now is one division has just concluded just wrapped up at the time of filming here and a lot of people are getting very upset that their personal fan theories of how this was going to end or what was going to happen and didn't pan out and again it's like it's it's a sense of entitlement i think is very concerning because you you have to at some point become concerned as a video game developer as a a provider of all the stuff that we love, like what this podcast is about movies and comics and games, you've got to be scared that this very vocal fan base that you really, really want to like what you're doing are just going to come out and tear it to shreds, man, I feel for them. I really do. And it's not that criticism is unwarranted and you can't be critical, but there's a big difference between constructive criticism and just, I want I want what I want. You know what yeah. I mean? And that kind of is what I think happened to the ending of Mass Effect Three is they wanted it to be a certain way. And the developer responded. Like you said, like they actually responded to try to play that out more so you could see more of of what happened with your decisions.
0: No, and to your point too. I mean, I think it's even just with us in this podcast, it's that fear of how people would perceive it though too. And I don't I don't think, I mean, we can have a whole a separate episode <laughs> discussing the toxicity of nerd culture and geekdom but i do think it's a, a massive point especially in most prevalent with video games because mm-hmm. uh there is a sense of conclusion and uh you know finality kind of thing to where it's like okay this is you play the game that's it it concludes with its trilogy like mass effect I, I don't know i don't it's people can't have buyers and with it but it's uh, i think still looking back at the third when people respond the way they did and they still get mad about it it's kind of like Appreciate it for what it was. That was first playthrough of three, and if you played through all three, like there hasn't been another game franchise that hits the same way. And at some point in time, it just has to end. So it's like you can either appreciate it or you can cry about it being over. And then, what I think turned me off more than anything else is that when Bioware did release that kind of new ending, people still was like, "Oh, it's not good enough." It's like, well, then you design a fucking game. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like it's like come on like, what do you want and like they responded relatively quick with that that was like within the same month when all that people started beating the game people started seeing the ending for themselves it was like it wasn't like you had to wait a whole year for that and maybe it was within like you know three months or whatever but it was pretty quick it wasn't like hey we're gonna have this new dlc out they got to it pretty fast so it's again like what do you want at this stage like yeah. you can't you can't get mad it's kind of like i love final fantasy but it's the same fans that bash the remake because of the side missions where it's not a complete they've remade the original with updated graphics mm-hmm. how many times do you want new fans to enjoy something you love or you want to just sit there as you know a contrarian and like you know just be in your own little box it's like come on man
1: well and and maybe trying to bring this to a little bit of a close overall i think the the real takeaway for me is i understand the emotional attachment right because compared to movies or comics or anything else that we typically talk about shows and stuff like you really, really get invested into the character and the choices that you are making. Cause yes, it's like you're, you're do, like, it's a character on a video game. Like what, but you personally get involved. We've talked about this many times in this podcast and how immersed you can get into this experience, how connected you can feel with the characters and the story that's being told. And maybe that's why people care so much because they really do have a connection to what's going on and, and, and feel like, you know, they're working for a certain ending and, and the ending they wanted wasn't an option the programmers or the developers made available to them. And, you know, I understand from an emotional level where they're coming from. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily agree with the, like, the behavior, certainly the behavior and like the way people handle these things or express themselves is, is a separate issue slightly. But being invested, being connected, feeling like, all of this stuff matters to such an extent that it stays with you when you turn off the game and walk away from the screen, put down the controller like this stays with you. And and we're talking about this game now, you know, nine years after the last game released in 2012. Uh, The first game released, I'm trying to think. Um, 2000,
0: maybe seven
1: or five. I'll get this real right quick. 2007. Good job. Wow. Good call. So, so we're talking about this game. <laughs> You know, fourteen years after the franchise franchise started, and still remembering it and the effect it's had on us. Like, it really is an incredible game, incredibly immersive, incredible stories. And I'm so, so, so excited that we're going to get the Legendary Edition, get all this stuff back, and then some. Yeah, no, and to your point too. I mean, it's that's a pretty recent game franchise. It's not like
0: Legend of Zelda or even Final Fantasy, to where you've had decades and multiple entries to Fall in love with the franchise. It's literally three games, trilogy, boom, 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 boom. And it has this type of impact. And I, I think that's a thing to cherish and appreciate rather than bash and, and cry about. And to your point, too, yeah, it's you get emotionally invested and there is a thing to warrant gamer feelings. But I think we have to take a hard look at ourselves too when that crosses the line of toxic and uh, doesn't just stop at video games. Like I said, I know there's going to be fans that I could listen to our podcast and bash us. And hopefully, you know, we don't get, you know, sort of backlash or anything else people appreciate the show for what it is just two guys talking about uh shit they love but uh
1: i live in canada it's... if anyone's looking for me i live in canada <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i'm i think that's a, a big part and i, I do think we should probably should talk about having an episode on that topic down the road but uh the more popular video games and comic book culture and nerd culture becomes the more increasingly this is going to be at the center of social conversations
1: yeah yeah. And, and the role it plays and maybe what role, not only what role does it play, like culturally, societally, as we talk about these things and they become more prevalent, but also the role that fans play in their development, in their presentation, and how much say should they have over the final product? You know what I mean? Like we talked about last time, Zack Snyder's Justice League cut and stuff like that in part has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of people felt like he was going to do a better job and they wanted to see his version of it and everything else. Like that's coming. That's, that's, that's being driven a lot by fans. Deadpool that got released was driven a lot by fan demand for it. Got that release. You know what I mean? And, and we are moving into a very interesting time where fans are being given, not just a voice in a lot of these things, but seeing actual consequential decisions Mm -hmm. being made based on the feedback they're providing and the things that they're saying. And, what responsibility comes along with that voice? You know, now that we have it, how do we use it? And how do we use it with Mass Effect? Do we think we made the right choice in demanding different endings and and sort of everything from Bioware? And then how we felt about what we got in the end might be something we can learn from.
0: On that note, and I, I got a little heavy, but I think topics
1: we need to talk about.
0: Um, what are you playing? What are you watching? what you got going on right now
1: all right so uh game wise i'm still in the world of warcraft grind i am now in the process of finding a guild and figuring out if i'm able to support my relationship while raiding two nights a week um that'll be a fun conversation to figure out <laughs> i mean it's a, it's a standing commitment man you know what i mean like you can't just like it... peace on raids but i also have to like have time for you know that's why I stopped playing. Wow, well, man! I, you know, oh, people wanted me to you, play. You were too, too busy with your girls. <laughs> no, no,
0: like just the culture. Like I wanted to play a certain way. I was, you know, a blood elf uh, warrior, and they wanted me just to be a tank. One I wanted elf. to dual wield, and uh, you know, my name got me in trouble too. But I think that's a story for another day.
1: Um, okay. Um, watching yeah. wise, I I just finished my binge again. You can probably place when this was recorded. I just finished binging One Division, so I look forward to when we have a longer discussion about that. Also, the anime what's it called? Tensei Shitara Slime I pronounce that horribly. Don't hate talking, me. Weeaboos. It's it's a it's a dude who got reincarnated as a slime. The oh, first yeah, season totally. the first season was very like kind of just like happy like did it. Second season has a way darker tone to the point that like after the last episode ended, I did go find scans scans of the manga to read ahead because I I got hooked. Mm-hmm. Like it got to me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Definitely enjoying that right now.
0: That's usually a good sign of a good anime.
1: I actually am pumped
0: because Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2 is supposed to be dropping sometime this year. I mean, that's a complete comedy just kind of slapstick anime, but I don't know. I loved the first season. I thought it was a blast, but uh, now watching-wise, I got to finish up WandaVision and then jump back into Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, The Intergrade trailer kind of got me interested. Not going to pick up a PS5 until the second chapter is released. I'll be straight Mm -hmm. up. There's plenty of PS4 games to get through, but Started to go back through on hard mode and uh absolutely loving it. It has a, I don't know, new appreciation for the game playing through hard and the combat system. And then finally, not didn't finish Avengers, but got to the point where I can play multiplayer at, uh again, friends of the show, JT, J. Kurt. They uh, <laughs> were harping on me to, to finally finish that and tell me the game gets a lot better once you get to multiplayer. Oh, well, it is because my beef with that was... I didn't like playing as Miss Marvel. Uh, her fangirl character kind of drives me crazy, but none of the characters felt like their superpower selves. Like Hulk, I was just taking damage and doing like two combos. And then as it progressed, Black Widow felt the most fluid. And then how the trees are, you have to grind. But like, as you level up, you feel more like this, these superheroes. You actually feel like Iron Man. You can lay waste with beams. You can, you know, Hulk out with Hulk and, it kind of sucks it to play that way, but you can level up so quickly on multiplayer. It, you know, take to go with the bad kind of thing. But uh, next episode, I think we can dive into, you know, why wow got me in trouble with the name. Cause uh, <laughs> talk a, we'll talk a little bit about single player games versus uh, MMOs and uh, kind of the
1: cultural clash between the two. I mean, I'm obviously active right now in MMOs and you have been enjoying single player games talked about zelda stuff and uh i'm a self-loathing writer it's what i do <laughs> uh yeah your 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 idea of a good time is getting away from everything that you do exactly exactly yeah um yeah. yeah i think it'll be a good discussion i look forward to it personally and we're gonna be back to our our typical can't agree on anything
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah a little bit of a change of pace with this one but everybody thanks for listening yeah and played mass effect get out there pick up the legendary edition come back yes, please uh, you know, give us a like, give us a follow who stayed over my podcast. And again, guys, thanks for listening Till next time.